Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. Welcome to the Cashflow Hacking Podcast. We are on a mission to help people increase their cash flow. While the steady paycheck of a 9-to-5 job may provide you a sense of security, it will never bring you true financial freedom and abundance. We will teach you the tips, tricks, and strategies behind increasing your cash flow. We connect with the experts who have defied conventional finance wisdom, who now earn more than they ever once thought possible. For those of you that are not yet at your full potential, are underemployed, or simply looking to grow their cash flow, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Finance and Markets Cash Flow Hacking Podcast. And now to your host, Casey Stubbs. Hello, this is Casey Stubbs with the Cash Flow Hacking Podcast. And today's guest is Dawn Carpenter who is the host of the More Than Money podcast, which is a podcast that talks about money in, used in business ethics and in ethical ways and, and the actual moral aspect of money because life is just more than making money. It's what we do with it. And uh, Dawn was at one time an investment banker and had a great career, and she decided to stop doing that. And now she's the host of the More Than Money podcast. Uh, Dawn, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Cool. Well, I'm really excited to have you because I I think me and you, even though we have just met, I think we look at money in the same way. Uh, I know that I have always worked to try to actually make good on making money out because I want to make a difference. I want to help the world. Um, And my foundation is based on uh, faith in God. And that's why I want to really help people because I just feel like that's what God wants me to do. Um, However, I want to hear from you and I want to know what caused you to drop out of the business world in the way that you did. Well, you know, I don't think anybody's ever quite asked me that question that way. Um, It uh, sounds like an exodus. Sometimes I jokingly um, uh, tell people that I've uh, survived investment banking, but I don't think that's a fair characterization because I love being a banker. Um, I think people um, uh, sometimes think about who they are at their core, uh, kind of vocationally. It's like, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a uh, iron worker, I'm this or I'm that. I think at 
at my heart, I'm a banker. Um, I love to tell stories, and I think that's the most important function that a banker has is to be able to tell the story of someone who needs capital and share that with the um, owners of capital in a way that they can be inspired to want to invest in that company. So I um, do what I do now as a host of a podcast, but that's one piece of a larger set of things that I do. Um, I'm currently a uh, fellow at Georgetown University as I finish my doctoral work there. Uh, you talk about in, uh, putting together um, your faith. That, that's really what I've done as well. I've, I've come to Georgetown to study the theological nature of work and wealth. And that has given me a, an understanding of um, an ethical way to look at how business can be used for social good. And so I don't think you can really do that work without being a banker or a financier because um, you have to understand how that world works to be able to communicate it. And so um, I don't really feel like I've left. I don't do as many deals as I used to. I, I still do some consulting with the U.S. Treasury Department and, um, and certain types of specialty finance organizations, but no, I, um, I don't make it up to Wall Street as much as, uh, as I did uh, in my active banking days, but um, I, uh, I see banking as a, having been a absolutely phenomenal and for me, integral part of um, helping me do the work that I do now. Okay, so your your let's talk about your podcast and, and what you're looking at accomplishing with that. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you know your your vision for it and, and what you're trying to do. Well, we're trying to create a conversation community around how you can use your values to animate the work that you do and amplify your wealth. And, and um, we cover six different topical domains, and each one of those domains is a piece of a larger puzzle of what I really call social economy. So we're talking about things that. Um, range in topics from uh, faith and values-based investing, and that covers the entire impact investing space. We're talking about social entrepreneurship. Um, we're talking about um, corporate social responsibility. We're talking about business ethics. We're talking about economic justice. These are concepts that all wrap into a broader conversation about how business can be used for social good. Okay, so a, a listener in your of your show is going to get some ideas and education on what they can do to participate in social good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. And that is specifically would that Im, uh, impact an individual, or is this like for for business people, or um, you know, entrepreneurs, or or people that are just just regular folks? Well, I would say it probably spans that whole spectrum. Um, our audience, our show was designed for millennials, those who were um, in their early to um, uh, mid-20s up through their 30s and early 40s. So that's really people just coming into the world of work and those that are kind of um, heading towards the middle of their career. And the reason we decide the show around that demographic is that we wanted to inspire people early in their coronation of those people who'd been working for a while, but um, we're starting to get that itch of dissatisfaction with um, uh, finding meaning in their work. And so that's kind of the core of our audience. 
and the show's uh, episodes are designed um, to kind of pique interest. They are um, roughly 30 minutes in length, and each has a their own topic. And the topic is, uh, we've had two seasons, and the way um, the first two seasons have been formatted is that in each episode, the first interview is with someone who's talking about that big issue at a 30,000-foot view. And then um, the second interview in the show is really someone who's diving deep in doing that work. And so as an example, we did a show on um, environmental sustainability and professional sports. Well, our first guest on the show who's giving the 30,000 foot view is an incredible guy who by training is a scientist, um, formerly with the National Resource Defense Council. And he's also an attorney. He's been doing this work for, gosh, I don't know, 30 some years and had um, has created all of the major sustainability programs for professional sports in our country and has gone on internationally to do this with the International Olympic Committee, European soccer leagues, and so forth. Um, and so uh, Alan's talking about these issues um, in the big picture. And then uh, to talk about it more specifically, I, I, this has to have been one of my favorite guests, um, the woman who's the director of sustainability at NASCAR. I mean, could you imagine? I don't think of NASCAR, and actually had her say this and not me, because it sounds better coming from her, but I don't really think about NASCAR when you think green. Um, but she tells a great story. And so, um, you know, for us to develop a show as a new podcast, we really have to find ways to build an audience. And so what better way that to build an audience than to stick a, um, a show about the ethical um, approach to money on the NASCAR website? Um, you know, they've got millions of people who hit their website and um, they'd never find our show otherwise. And so it's been a it's been a joy and adventure and a, uh, an inspiration both to me, but also to listeners. We get great feedback. Um, so that's that's really the kind of work that we're trying to do. OK. And, you know, you just made the comment that said that you've gotten some good feedback. Have you gotten any stories from listeners that have maybe decided to take action uh, because of some of the things that they've heard or get involved with some programs or something that you're that you some of your speakers have talked about? Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. Well, I'm looking forward to those days because um, we are ju we just we've finished two seasons. We're recording for season three, but in our world, that means we've only been around for about a year. Um, but what I can tell you is that I'm getting um, requests a to be on the show, uh, b for show ideas, um, and um, I've had people who said, 
I never thought about business this way um, when we start looking at some of our uh, comments. Um, so I don't know um, how our seeds are going to flourish, but we like to think that we're planting them all over the place. And um, you know the biblical reference about seed planting. Um, some of them make it and some of them don't. So um, I'm praying for the ones that um, are in good soil. So we'll yeah, see where I it goes. And I just got to say that in, in, in doing research for your show, for this show today, I listened to your podcast about helping um, people that get out of prison and helping them uh, get back into community. And it was a really great show. And it actually, I was telling you this earlier, that it planted some seeds in me. And I started to think, oh, okay, well, what can I do? Is there anything that I can do to help here? And so I'm actually going to write some notes down and we'll see. Um, but it, so hopefully I'll be able to come back with a story maybe uh, in some time from now. And, and like you said, these things do take time. Uh, stuff just doesn't happen instantly. Uh, it takes some time. So you plant the seeds and you see what happens, uh, which is, which is really good. So I recommend to all of my listeners to go ahead and check it out and you might get some ideas because I think that, all of us want to make a difference and we want to make an impact and we want to do something positive for our community. And we just have to look out there and see where the needs are and then not just be blind to it, but then take action. Oh yeah. One of my favorite episodes was on food deserts, which is this concept of living in a community that doesn't have access to fresh and healthy foods. And so, like I said, the, the way we structure the show is we've got someone talking at 30,000 foot view and then someone talking about doing, um, doing the work. And the guy that was doing the work on that show um, owns a company called uh, Brown Superstore and they brand themselves as ShopRite. So I don't know if any of your listeners have ShopRites in their communities, but they make a um, concerted commitment to employ people who live in the communities where their stores are and they're in really um, underserved areas. So people who have been um, released from incarceration and are trying to assimilate back into the community have a really hard time finding jobs. And uh, ShopRite um, makes a concerted effort to try to lift those people up and give them opportunities. So um, I didn't inspire them. Um, they've inspired me, but um, we like to be able to tell those kinds of stories. Yeah, and I just had a, a thought on my head. Um, there's a, a local business uh, that is focused on hiring um, ex-prisoners, and I could give you their information later. I don't know them personally, but I had learned about them, and maybe that would be another guest you'd want to. <laughs> well, we show. are always looking for good stories. So if your listeners have stories that fall into any of those domains that I, I talked about, um, we're um, always really excited to have conversations, and you'll be um, surprised about some of the guests on uh, season three were really um, excited. We actually have some um, celebrities, um, and I can't say um, yet because we haven't uh, made our announcement on our season three guests. But there'll be people that your guests will know. Okay. Well, then I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, following along, and at the end of the show, we'll get all your contact info, and we'll have you share it so that um, the people that are listening will be able to uh, to follow along as well. Sounds so, great. So just a question for my listeners. Uh, we always talk about strategies about how to actually increase our cash flow. We talk about all kinds of different things. Uh, you know, Bitcoin, starting a business, uh, investing, trading, uh, saving, getting out of debt. I mean, we just cover the whole, the whole deal. Uh, this is a topic that we actually haven't 
talked about, so I want to dive into it a little bit deeper here by asking you the question of uh, why is it so important that we think about our ethical responsibility and do we have an ethical responsibility uh, with using our money? Well, that is an enormous question. Um, and intuitively, everyone, with, and your listeners should be bobbing their heads up and down. Yeah, yeah, of course, we should be ethical. Um, because we read in the, you know, not only financial press, but the general press of when people do things badly. Um, and those are, you know, the tintillating stories, you know, that's the Bernie Madoffs of the world. And, and actually, um, it's not Bernie, but the woman who wrote the book about Bernie Madoff, um, the New York Times uh, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, author who did the, the uh, Robert De Niro movie about Bernie Madoff is coming on season three. Um, but ethics is about how you should behave. Um, and there are different um, frameworks of how to think about it. And um, it's really hard because sometimes um, as investors, sometimes as business people, we have to make really hard decisions. And you like to think that everyone has a comes from a common place of wanting to do the right thing. And we know that that's not true um, because there are bad actors in the world. But I tend to be fairly optimistic and like to think that most of us don't think that way. Um, but uh, so you set the truly bad actors aside, you know, and then there's the rest of us who just try to do the best we can do every day. But we're faced with trade offs. And so what I found to be kind of a, a good guiding light is this idea of finding um, what values you have personally that um, motivate you every day. Uh, because we all get up and some days it's easier to get up and be energized about what we do and other days it's like kind of a drag, right? Um, but if you can find those values that are important to you, um, for me, I find that the motivating values for me are contribution and flourishing. It's this idea that everybody has something to contribute. And my job is to contribute the best that I can contribute, um, which means just using those skills and capacities that I have, but then kind of amping it up a notch and doing what I do to help others um, contribute which in the end, all we're really trying to do is get to this place where we're all flourishing. And so I think ethics is really about finding those values that um, are important to you and finding a way to use the skills and the talents that you have to amplify it. I mean, we all spend a lot of time, I think, sometimes spinning our wheels, trying to get better at the things we do badly. Uh, and I think there are some things we definitely all need to work on. But why not expend our energy on really um, fully contribute it, contributing in the areas where we're really great. Um, we're all unique and we're not all the same. Um, and so you can do this um, just by the way you generally live your life, but also the way you use your money. Money is a lubricant. I mean, it's a, a powerful tool. Um, it helps um, you know, speed up the velocity of activity and change. Um, and it's very empowering. Uh, but it's also very dangerous because money um, amplifies kind of who you are. So if you're a great person and you have money, you can do great things. If you are a, a scoundrel and you've got money, you can do some pretty terrible things. Um, and so I think money is kind of, um, there's this moral, I don't know, it's like a indifference. Uh, money is just um, a tool. 
And so ethics is um, really the, the framework that you need and um, to kind of give you a path. Have you found that the idea of doing good and ethics is something that happens after uh, someone accomplishes financial goals or do, is it a, a driver that pushes people to achieve them? And I'm just thinking of some of the people that I've read about from the past, you know, like Bill Gates, you know, he hit a level and then he started to really focus on philanthropy and even, even farther back, like uh, Andrew Carnegie, you know, he hit a certain level. And then after that, it's like, well, I've done all my goals. Now I have to do good. So do you think that that is more common or do you see people want to do the good? So then therefore they, they make money or is it, do you kind of understand what I'm saying there? Yeah, Yeah. I I hear you. Um, Well, you know, those are interesting examples that you raise because you look a little deeper at the life and business practices of some of these early uh, philanthropists. You know, if you have a moral compass, it can make you cringe. Um, And so the question becomes, do you do anything at, do your work at all with no boundaries and at all costs um, and then try to atone later? Or Mm -hmm. do you um, take a more measured approach um, have a more ethical approach to the business that you do um, with the hope of doing good along the way. And I think you've hit on a, um, a very important question. And I would tell you, um, one of the things that we hadn't mentioned that I do is that um, I um, am a, prof- excuse me, a professor. And so I've got young business school students who some of them are headed straight to Wall Street, could care less about ethics. And then I've got the others that think those folks are the devil. Um, and I'm like, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be this, this or that. Um, you can um, do well by doing good. Um, uh, and so I think that the way I would answer that question is that um, we've got a generation of um, young people who have been particularly affected by the 2008 financial crisis. Um, these are young people who were coming of age, not when I did in the go-go 80s, but when um, you know we're we're looking at severe economic disturbances, and um, the economists keep track of something called the Prost index, which is this idea of how much economic activity has been lost um, due to shocks in the economic environment. And after 2008, um, the U.S. lost nearly eight years of economic gains. That has a tremendous impact on. Um, Uh, at least a generation or two. And so we're starting to see people coming out into business who survived that environment, who, you know, as an example, may not be doing financially as well as their parents. And that's something that is almost unheard of in our country. There'd always been this progression and expectation that you'll do better generation to generation, but this generation is finding a different set of circumstances. And so I think that changes the mindset of people, I think um, there is a, um, a desire to find meaning, maybe in other places, um, and so they try to find meaning in their work. And I'm, you know, seeing studies that suggest that there are um, people who will take a concession in either job title or compensation to find meaning in their work. Um, that's just, you know, in my generation, unheard of. Um, and so uh, I, I think I, I kind of like to stand back sometimes and, and be a spectator and watch some of this dynamic unfold. But it inspires me because I think it um, sets in motion a set of values that can be transformative. So I wanted to, since you mentioned that you were a professor, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, so I'll just be oh, 
I'm not a huge fan of higher learning. Um, I have known a lot of people that have gone to college and um, they kind of get filled up with a lot of lofty ideas and I'm not bashing you at all. So don't take, (laughs) I'm waiting waiting to hear the question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So just, I have some experience. They get all these different thoughts and lofty ideas and it kind of has changed them. They come into college. It was one person and they come out someone totally different. Um, And so my question is for it's I shouldn't put two part questions. It's too complicated, but um, is what, what classes are you teaching? And then second, uh, what type of impact are you trying to make and how are you trying to get through to them, uh, to those that you're teaching? Good questions. Um, well, I'll tell you, um, I'm, I'm teaching in two different universities. Um, First, Catholic University of America here in Washington, D.C., they created a very innovative um, graduate program in business analysis. And so what they did was they saw a need for um, helping young people who had undergraduate degrees in the social sciences. And these are people who go to college, kind of where you're headed with at the beginning of this um, setup to this question. Um, they're going into universities to study philosophy or history or political science or psychology, um, areas of inquiry that um, I think are very valuable, but yet you don't leave um, with those degrees with arguably much marketable uh, skill. And so, you know, you find um, this um, disconnect between the investment that you put in to get that education and the ability to earn a living afterwards. So what Catholic University did was Uh, to recognize that problem. And so they created a one-year graduate program in business analysis, and it's intended to give um, students a broad view of the business world. So the different um, disciplines that you would see traditionally in a business school, but it's not an MBA. So an MBA, the classic profile of a a student going into an MBA, they have some business and finance, um, not only experience, but also undergraduate training. Um, Here, this is a program designed to give exposure to data analytics, give exposure to marketing, give exposure to um, quantitative analysis, accounting, finance, and the like. So, and then at the end, it's all capped off with a very practical experience that's set up like a consulting assignment. So they get practical experience. There's an internship component in this year. It's intense. And so they come to me at the end of uh, their last semester And I teach a class called Applied Financial Management. So these are, again, undergraduates trained in the social sciences who may never have had any exposure to finance. And so I teach them the language of, when you teach finance, you generally, I'm kind of, I've got my professor hat on, you teach about uh, financial institutions and financial markets. And then you teach about investments, and then you teach about general financial management of a company. So that's that internal um, analysis on an operating company. And so I use that same framework, but a little bit um, differently. So I'm approaching it um, to students who ha- don't have that background, but want to use the, the tools and the knowledge that they gained as undergraduates um, in various disciplines, but apply that knowledge in a way that's practical. So some of these kids are not ever going to be suited to going out to working in a bank, for instance, or they might be not suited to be in an asset management firm, um, typical areas of people studying finance, but they need to understand that language to be valuable members of a marketing team, 
for instance, and the marketing team may be in who knows any particular industry. Um, and so that's, I really feel like I'm providing a service um, to, um, to students who are, are looking to kind of find their way and kickstart their first career. These students, I think the average starting salary is $60,000, $60, um, really with not much you know, background in other work experiences, and almost all of them are in these positions within three months of graduation. So it's a, um, a very unique program. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I am uh, designing a class for the business school at Georgetown University called Finance for Social Good. And so these are finance students who are trying to figure out how they want to craft their finance careers. Some of them will go the traditional route to Wall Street. Um, some will go to consulting. And some will um, say, you know, I, I really feel this public calling. And so my class is designed to teach finance for um, solving social problems, but with the finance tools that you would learn by working in, a, in um, the typical world of corporate finance, those you'd learn by working in the world of public finance, which is how the government uses finance, and then how you would use it from a social perspective, which you would see in um, philanthropic um, give, giving, but also strategic investments that way. And that's really driven by tax policy. So in this course, you're learning finance tools in each one of those sectors. Um, so that's the kind of work that I do. And now you were saying that they can get uh, jobs very quickly and a uh, pretty good salary rate at $60,000 a year. Does the college help them uh, find those jobs? And what kind of jobs are they? Are they they're banking positions? Most of them are not banking positions. Some do um, go into banking, but yes, the university, part of this program, I feel like I'm doing a commercial for them, but they really do have a good product. Um, there are a group of us that have agreed, um, not only just faculty, but there are board, uh, there's a board associated with this graduate program of people willing to say, look, I'm, I'm a business professional. I'm committed to what I do. And part of what my commitment is, is to mentor others. And so each student gets a one-on-one -on -one mentor. Um, and then there is a person who works um, in career uh, services for the um, uh, purpose of um, uh, just placing these students. And because it's such an integral part of the uh, program, they, um, they stress the career placement day one. So the mentor, is that throughout the entire part of the college or how long does that mentoring last? <laughs> Probably years afterwards too. Yes, yeah. all throughout um, this graduate program. And again, it's a one-year program. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, they see it as key because without that extra support, you know, it, it kind of gets to the place where you were suggesting, which is it's, you know, it's, it's just a, um, I don't know, you didn't use this word, but, you know, kind of like a diploma mill. Um, and that doesn't do the students any good. And truthfully, it doesn't do the, the universities any good either because, um, you know, you get you know, a disgruntled alumni base and this does not make for a sustainable university community. Yeah, I'm actually a huge fan of mentoring and also apprenticeship because um, that's, that's pretty much how I run my business. Um, I take people and I just walk with them and train them and spend time with them and teach them and mentor them. And that's how I was taught as well. So that's, oh, that's, that, that's totally, fantastic. Yeah, it's totally key. And you see that a lot in um, uh, the union model or the labor model. Um, and I've got a, a group of fellows from around the country who come into Georgetown every year 
and get placed in labor organizations in a finance function. And they use that apprenticeship model. Um, and it, it's been around since the Middle Ages and it works. That is very true. So Don, uh, we're getting close to the end, but I would like to uh, ask you uh, one final question. And that is uh, for the listeners that want to hear more about you, that want to learn about your great surprise guests coming up for season three and you win that season's coming out and well when is season three coming out oh that's a perennial question well we're <laughs> trying to release on labor day uh okay. very strategically um and uh so keep your fingers crossed i have uh, a very busy speaking uh circuit um this summer so i i've got to squeeze them in i was just in uh switzerland i'm headed to a university out in uh, Minnesota and then headed to uh, give a talk in Italy um, all within the next month and a half. So I try to squeeze in my interviews just like you do, right? Um, and so, uh, <laughs> fingers crossed, but you can find us online at morethanmoney-podcast.com. Uh, we're on iTunes and all the distribution platforms. Um, uh, uh, we're on Spotify now. Um, uh, you pretty much anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us. Um, there are actually, I think, three podcasts called More Than Money, but we are by far um, uh, the the leader. So you'll you'll see us right away. We're also on YouTube. Um, we don't offer video content, so it's kind of boring to um, quote unquote watch us on YouTube. But uh, you can you can hear us there. And there are actually a couple of we have a video trailer for the second season of the show. Um, it's about a minute long, and then we have an interview that I did about the show. So you can. Um, uh, watch me being questioned um, about the show and you can find all of that um, on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, the podcast MTM, which stands for more than money, uh, same place on Facebook. Okay. Well, we're going to have all of your contact information in the show notes below the episode and on the website, financeandmarkets.com. So everyone that listens will be able to click the links and go check you out and find out who your amazing guests are going to be for season three and good luck on your show and on your speaking uh, coming up this summer. Oh, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I hope that um, I've been able to pique the interest of some of your listeners. Um, sure to listen to our show, but really more importantly to think about uh, kind of where you started in this uh, conversation that you know, truly life is about more than money. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you again. My pleasure. You have been listening to the Finance and Markets Cash Flow Hacking Podcast. Thank you for listening. Be sure and visit our website, financeandmarkets.com, to view this podcast's actionable cash flow strategies. And if this podcast was beneficial to you, please go to iTunes and search Cash Flow Hacking Podcast and leave a review to help other people find this and discover this podcast. for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. 
We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time. Thank you.